first and foremost, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, it's a pleasure, pleasure. to get to uh, get to see you. No problem whatsoever. It's a pleasure to be here. Cool. So, um, so firstly, j just for my audience, could you just say what dates you're so asked for? Sure. Uh, I studied Arabic and history from 2000 and uh, actually I started in 2006. It's an interesting story, but I did the degree from 2007 to 2011. And then I was president of the union from 2011 to 2012. So I spent quite a bit of time there. Right. So you've so you would have seen a lot of Arabic students go through go through the mix of them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, so actually, in that case, you, you would have been at SOAS before the war in Syria started then, like in like 2011. Like did, where did you do your abroad? In Damascus, wow. in Syria. Cool. That uh, was something that dawned on me. Like as I, as I was looking on your LinkedIn and like the dates that you were there, I thought, subhanAllah, you, you're, you're actually one of the, the legendary generations that were able to go to Damascus. Because we, yeah, we missed out it, on that. It was most certainly... Um, it was game changing for me in not just for my degree, but also uh, personally as well. Um, I had to say that I, I found I intended to study Arabic because um, I wanted to study uh, language. I wanted to study psychology. I wanted to study, you know, maths and music. I wanted to study almost everything under the sun. And, uh, and of course, politics, economics, etc. And it just occurred to me that the only way uh, at least in, in the UK, one gets the opportunity to feel like they're approaching all those things in one fell swoop is, forgive me. Um, yeah, take it if you need to. No, 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 that's quite all right. I'll, I'll in fact, for, for, uh, let, me, uh, let me switch that off so that I can start the thing again. Because yeah, I no worries, no worries. So, yeah, so I was, uh, I, I was in Damascus in 2009 to 2010. So it was before the war and it did change my my not just my degree but my life in general i'd actually gone to study arabic because i wanted to study english literature i want to study language i want to study philosophy i did 18 plays in five years when i was a teenager i was a music scholar um and i had you know a a, a real desire to try and understand what is at the root of the universe before i go out into the universe and um and i must admit you know i didn't approach it with any semblance of uh, a spiritual meaning or desire in that in that framework. You know, I come from uh, a background that appreciates and, and respects uh, sort of, you know, Islam in particular, but that wasn't the core driver for me. For me, it was something more transcendental. It just seemed to be something that drew me as a way to be able to understand everything. Um, I really enjoyed problem solving, so I want to do something logical, but I also was a poet, so I really wanted to do something expressive. And, you know, you, there was no way to find anything to study, at least in the UK, that fulfilled all those things together. And so suddenly Arabic came along as an idea. And I thought, OK, well, not only will I enjoy it, I'll be able to use it. Um, and I found it really tough. I started in 2006. I didn't know what I was in for. And actually, in 2006, uh, I, I actually dropped out. You know, I, I thought, yeah, this is... This is really, really difficult. Um, and something inside me said, you know, you can go to Edinburgh, Leeds, St. Andrews, Durham, have a really good time, study sociology or something, and, you know, have, have a pretty cushy, cushy life. But there's something that's drawing you to this. There's something really deep inside you that is magnetic, and it's not going to be easy, but, you know, it's going to be a hell of a ride. And so I came back, and I, and I importantly, practically uh, sort of fulfilled... I guess both elements of both sides of my brain by 
mixing Arabic with history. So, you know, one side of my mind that was doing a lot of the things you have to do in the first few years of Arabic at SOAS, which is very logical and very sort of, you know, it's a bit like studying physics. Um, you know, and I refer to it as the quantum mechanics of emotion. That's what Arabic is. It's the quantum mechanics of emotion. And you have to learn, you have to get there by starting by doing one plus one is two again and again and again, all the way up to quantum mechanics. So that was, you know, difficult and it was frustrating. But finally, I got to go to Damascus. And I can imagine, you know, I, you know, after not being allowed, not or not really allowed, but not being able really to speak the language at SOAS, so excited. I had arrived back then, BMI, British Middle East, to fly to Damascus. This was Syria in days when everyone thought this was, you know, going to be one of the future states of the Middle East. And, you know, the leader, the leader was uh, talking about Damascus being a massive Wi-Fi zone. And so everything was really positive and such. And I was like, well, okay, well, you know, it's a different time to, to, to what it is now. But I remember landing in 2009 and thinking, wow, I, I'm here. I'm in Damascus. I'm in Syria. I'm in like this, it's a bit like Narnia, but real, you know, it's like all of history just suddenly plunked to one place. And I come out of the airport with my bags and my hands there dictionary under my arm. And I'm like, I'm gonna use my Arabic. So I knocked on the, the taxi driver's window. Um, and there's this sort of rather rotund guy in a white sort of vest about one o'clock in the morning with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And he kind of, he doesn't really turn towards me, he just kind of rolls down the window and then just kind of flicks his head a little bit as if to say, okay, you have my attention. And I go, <clears throat> Yeah. And he just sits there and he turns around, looks at me, and goes, Sure. <laughs> My hands go around. What does shoe mean? What does shoe mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, for anyone who, who hasn't studied Arabic yet, it's a bit like turning up at Heathrow Airport at one o'clock in the morning and going, <clears throat> Forsooth, kind sir, wouldst thou takest me to the old town of Mayfair, if thou pleasest? You know, so yeah. it was. It was a bit of a turn up for the books, but when I was in Damascus, when I was in Syria, as a guy who's been born and brought up in the UK with multiple sort of backgrounds and who considers himself, you know, a citizen of the world and tries to apply love to everything, um, there was no better place for me to find my grounding sort of spiritually than through a city where one minute on a Monday evening, I'd be learning Arabic through, you know, a poetry club that used to exist there called Beit Qasid. Yeah. And that's how yeah. I learned, you know, my Arabic, not just in terms of Uridu and Adhaba, but in terms of like Zidini, Ishkan Zidini, you know, mm. the resonance of the beauty of this language that makes it the quantum mechanics of emotion. And it's not just Damascus. This is, you know, a phenomenal part of Sharal Alsat. It's, it's a big part of the grounding that does magnetize people towards that part of the world again and again, sadly, for better and for worse. Um, and... You know, there is nothing more empowering, I think, in the times that we find ourselves in than to, to actually be able to arm yourself a little bit with reason and logic in the form of language, yeah. which is being abused left, right and centre. Mm. So, obviously, you mentioned that you kind of, you've got a variety of interests, right? And the thing that I agree with you about, about learning languages is you get to, like, the language isn't necessarily just a topic in itself, it's a, it's the medium through which you, you learn about lots of different things, right, so it does accommodate lots of different interests, and, like, so if we go back to your first year, 
Um, what did your modules look like? Because I kind of want to give an idea of the structure of what a degree program looks like to people out there who might be considering it. Like, like in my case, I did straight Arabic. Yeah. Um, well, I actually started with Arabic and Islamic studies, but um, you know, I was I, I didn't really I, I didn't have the right mindset or expectations for Islamic studies at SOAS. Like I'd kind of studied Islam before I went there. And I'd kind of study like these are the five pillars, these are the key beliefs and stuff. And then I get there and it's like an orientalist kind of criticism of Islam, if you know what I mean. So I decided to switch to straight Arabic. So my modules were three of my four modules were just just learning, having Fushad beaten into me all day. And then one of the modules was Arabic culture, I think I did. But what, what, what did that look like for you? What did that first year look like for you? As a yeah, I think it's important. I mean, before I go into that, it's important to note that you're absolutely right. It's very easy to go into, uh, you know, studying these things at SOAS with expectations already set, right? Um, everyone does it, which is why, for example, there is such a high dropout rate in first year Arabic, because it's very, you know, it's very difficult to know what to expect when you're going off to study something which, you know, frankly, have minimal exposure to before you decide to go and study it. Same with Chinese, by the way, it's not just Arabic, now, Chinese has a huge dropout rate as well. You know, it's a very lovely sort of halcyon idea of I'm going to go and study Arabic, and then you're in the thick of it, and it's really difficult, or Islamic studies or history, you know, and it's really, really important to take that time early on to find out what it is you resonate with and why, because that process of getting to know yourself is phenomenally important, far more important in my opinion, than uh, you know the, the actual degree you come out with. But nonetheless, what did my first year look like? Um, when I was studying straight Arabic, there were four modules uh, and it was you know uh, three, I think it was three modules of Fusha and then one module of sort of general Arabic culture. Now, when I switched to Arabic and history, uh, it, how did it go? Yes, it would. So what would happen is you do three modules of Arabic and one module of you know your other degree. So yeah, history. That was the same then, yeah. And then then your second year you do two and two. It's split, and then you have your year abroad. And you come back, and it's three of your you know your your other module, and then one of Arabic, right? Okay. So that's the way it would work. And the choices you don't really have choices in your first year. You have to do the the sort of uh, mandatory. Um, you know, uh, courses that, that are there. Um, and then in your second year, you start to get a little bit more in choice in terms of how you want to focus yourself a little bit. But it's once you've done your year abroad, that when you come back, then you can go and focus, you know, a little bit more. So I did the best. I really struggled, by the way. And my I got a 2-1 in the end, but my first and second year, I really struggled. It was very difficult. Once I came back from my year abroad, I got like I got a ridiculously high mark in my in my um, Arabic. Yeah, alhamdulillah, I got a ridiculously high mark in my Arabic uh, uh, module. I did politics and aesthetics in modern Arabic literature. Okay, you know? absolutely amazing. So as in, you know, one, you know, I was literally able at that stage to be able to use my Arabic to look at the nuances, the vibrationary nuances in the works of Yusuf Idris, right? In looking at that as a mechanism to understand the true story of what was happening in Egypt at the time. Mm. Or with, you know, uh, Nizar Qabani or Mahmoud Darwish, etc., using artistry to get a real phenomenal knowledge through the actual, you know, nuktas, so the bits of the words chosen deliberately for their feel to be able to represent something that people couldn't say explicitly at the time for political reasons, right? So 
it takes a while and it does take those skeleton building blocks in your first year and you do need to go through it it's like going to the gym you know you need to go through these moments where you humble yourself and you humble your ego by by almost you know neurally practicing again and again like a musical instrument you have to practice to get to a place where suddenly there's a muscle memory with this language mm-hmm. um and at times in my life since my degree there are times where i haven't been able to use arabic or not haven't been able but haven't really had the the opportunity to or the need to but so long as there is a stable baseline that is created through those years you're able to go back to it quite quickly yeah. and that's why it's so phenomenally important yeah that's what I've, I've definitely found that like obviously I, I graduated with straight Arabic in the end and I I went into primary school teaching I did t- the teach first program but um I was terrible at it and um and I left just to teach Arabic like it was all I wanted to do really so yeah, um, but I've definitely found I've been in the UK for most of that time and I found you kind of get out of practice of speaking right for example but like it, it doesn't take very long you know it really doesn't take very long for me to put myself in some conversations and stuff and just be back to because I actually studied in Nablus when I did my yeah. To Palestine because yeah. I know a lot of people who were in my in my year who joined that program itself because they wanted to go to Damascus but yeah. then it wasn't available for us but by the time by the time it came around to us in our third year it was either Nablus or Amman those are the two yeah. options available and um, Alexandria did open up halfway through the year so we did have a couple of options but so, so for you was it Damascus or Alexandria? It was da- Damascus and Alexandria and the year after that was Alexandria stopped being an option. And then uh, the cohort in Damascus had to leave early. And then after that, it was uh, a cohort who, I think it was a Birzeit, who, uh, or, or one of the universe, uh, I can't remember where, but eventually it was Nablus, I remember that. Uh, but, but that's the thing, I think it's very important to note, as you just said there, um, where you go is important, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day also, making sure you make the most out of your time there is phenomenal. So I actually, you know, I must admit the University of Damascus was fine, but I didn't really learn a huge amount there. How I learned, I got a job. I don't think I was meant to under my visa, but I helped set up uh, Syria's first English language daily newspaper. Uh, And so I was a journalist there. Now that put me in places where I was exposed enough to have to speak Arabic. And it wasn't a a safe, cushy classroom setup. It was a case of, you know, going to, to people's houses and offices and going and actually using investigative work, using that Arabic in that situation. Loads of really embarrassing memories, which I have shut down straight to the back of my head. But as a result of those, I was put in positions where the pressure existed to go and actually learn the Arabic. And that's really important. So you can be an Amman and you can have a really, really nice time with a lot of the expats out there uh, and a lot of the Jordanians and Palestinians out there who, you know, speak English on a daily basis. There's some great restaurants, there's some, you know, great places to go, art places and Jebel Web there, et cetera, all fun. But at the end of the day, it's your agency and it's your choice how much you want to use it. And, and that applies, I guess, for anywhere you choose to go uh, across the Middle East if you do a year abroad there. Yeah, that's definitely something to, um, with, with a lot of my students, like in terms of my students and my audience, they're mostly adults who consider going back to university to do an Arabic language degree. It's often people have, a, have sort of the budget for it. And, um, and they, they want to take it really seriously. And, I, you know, there, there's certainly some things that people need to be advised on making the most out of your, not just taking the opportunity, but making the most out of it. Like, like something I noticed on my year abroad in Palestine is um, like, I'm, I'm not from a Muslim background, by the way. I embraced Islam when I was about 18. And um, when I went to Nablus, 
that was I, I sort of had one conversation for the first few months. Everyone just wanted to know how I became a Muslim. And I became really good at just telling people how I became a Muslim. But it's, it's a really important onus that the student needs to take on themselves to make sure they have a variety of different kinds of conversations. Like even if you need to prepare yourself for it and be in different environments and things like that, or else you can very easily be very fluent in a very narrow <laughs> The amount of times that I've had to explain that I'm half Indian, half Pakistani, but my heart is Syrian, I can say it in my sleep, right? Like as and it's it's one of those things, you know, your circumstance will will, will have to push you to say it, you know. I didn't get away because of the way I look as well. You know, I couldn't get away with the idea, in, especially in Syria, where they're like, hold on, you're, but you're Pakistani, but you speak English. You're, you know, it wasn't, there were places which hadn't quite developed an understanding of the history of globalization in the last hundred years. But like that meant, okay, well, in that circumstance, use it as an opportunity and, and, and widen your field. Um, I think times have changed quite a bit though as well. I mean, you know, bear in mind when I was out there, I, the iPhone had been sort of mass released after the time I came back from Syria, right? So like, uh, you know, only a few people had it before then. Now smartphones are everywhere. And so sort of knowledge is far more disseminated. Expectations have changed therefore as well. And so it is important, especially if you're an adult returning back to studies, to be incredibly discerning and really use your agency rather than sort of ride the wave, go out and choose and plan to go and make the very most out of your studying. Also, there is a truth that, you know, returning to studies, um, as I've done, you know, at later age as well, uh, you're, you're, it's quite, sometimes you're, you know, how you do it, the, uh, your neural flexibility is very different to when you're trying to study language uh, at a younger age. And so that's not, really uh, an excuse all it is is a case of managing that saying okay well how will i best learn a language at a later stage once i've developed habit right in life you know i know now that i wake up at x time i know now that i eat at x time i know now that i work between x time and x time etc your your life becomes quite habitual to open that up into the chaos of language learning which is this beautiful fluidity requires a management exercise, especially when it comes to something like Arabic as well, where it's not a case of, hello, how are you? I went to school today. You know, it's a case of understanding things to a very deep scientific level in terms of how each and every deliberate sound is created by each and every deliberate letter. Only through then are you going to be able to use it with the fluency you desire to use it. So it, it is an expectation setting exercise, but like anything, if you plan it properly, uh, you can come out with it with some amazingly gratifying rewards. I wanted to ask about something. Um, so before you before you joined SOAS, did you come from like a languages background? Like was that was that what you studied at college for your A-levels and stuff before you did your degree? Uh, I was very lucky to have, have studied in an environment where uh, I did, I, as I say, I did a lot of theatre. I did, I did 18 plays in five years, but I was a music scholar. I think that was the most fundamental thing. I think when I... Interesting enough, being born and brought up in the UK uh, and being the eldest child, my parents insisted on speaking to me in Urdu okay. when, between the age of zero and three, knowing for a while as soon as I'd hit nursery school, I'd start speaking English. And so I guess the, the sort of uh, flexibility I had with language happened at an early age. And I kind of think of everything as a form of music, right? So I, I think of Languages in particular, their ebbs, their flows, their representations of vibration, the way a human being expresses themselves, 
it is a form of you know a type of music and so i think i was lucky enough to be able to approach languages from that mindset right so if i was to go off and try and study korean i wouldn't study it from the basis of hello hi my name is ali what i'd look at is say okay well what are the core notes of that language what are the core like elemental you know letters and grammatical you know how does it work like how do people think when they're speaking that language and that's a bit like sort of if I was going to learn how to play the clarinet, which I can't play, I'd think, okay, rather than going, bah, 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 I'd say, okay, how does this instrument work? What exactly is going on here? How does the air go through it? How does, you know, and so I look at things from that basis and then sort of, you know, uh, be able to apply that. I'm, I'm a lawyer now, right? So, so that's how I apply the law as well. I kind of look at things from the perspective, not of you can do X, you can't do Y, but what's the actual meaning of philosophy behind it? What is the mindset that creates that environment or creates that particular thinking behind that rule? Yeah. So, so it, it, in other words, I don't think it's completely necessary for you to come from that sort of linguistic background in order to find languages easy. I certainly didn't find languages easy. It's a case of knowing what, how your mind works well enough and say, what is my point of access mm. into understanding how to approach this great big universe called a language, right? Um, and it's about, you know, that's why learning languages helps you know yourself so much more. Now that's, that, that's really interesting you came to there because my next question was gonna be about if you noticed in your first year, a difference between how well uh, students adapted to Arabic depending on what they've done before. Like some of the best performing Arabic students in our first year, especially when everything's so technical, were some of the people in our year who had done maths and physics and chemistry. Whereas like some yeah. people like myself who came from more of a languages background, like at A-level I did, you know, more kind of hum humanities and stuff. I did studies of religion, English, literature, Spanish. And so I thought that I was in a very strong position, whereas, you know, it's interesting how people from these backgrounds that would sort of seem unexpected to a lot of people took to Arabic so well. You know, it was especially yeah. in the first year. And I wondered if you noticed that, like that sometimes students who do Arabic and economics sometimes have a mind that's really good for it, surprisingly. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting because I think there is something to be said about, you know, there are various ways of learning language, not just through a degree, right? Um, and a university degree does naturally suit the economists, the physicians, the biologists, the people who approach knowledge from, you know, a, a rule-based uh, approach to then be able to express themselves with those rules. And inevitably, I guess you probably felt the same, that once you suffered through the rules and managed to just pass the exams, you're then able to express yourself as the expressive person you are with those rules. But I certainly, I mean, I, I barely passed my first year. Right. Um, I just about passed my second year, but I still got my high 2-1 because mm -hmm. by the time I kind of learned how to express myself where it counts in the third and fourth year, you know, it was it was there. You know, so it's again expectation. Don't go into this if you're a perfectionist. For God's sake, no, absolutely not. This is again one of those things where it was, you know, the spiritual journey of studying a, a language like this is it humbles you. You know, if you're the sort of perfectionist that needs to have A grades, study study the language some other way. Try Duolingo or something. But if you if you if you really want to challenge yourself spiritually deeply, no matter what your spiritual basis or background is. There's nothing more challenging and humbling than to basically be turned into a baby again, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're learning how to express yourself from the very, very beginning.
it does change you. That journey does change you inside. Yeah, I think, um, so, so to end then, I don't want to take up too much of your time. There, there was something, kind of a core question to this whole episode, really, that, um, so why, if you wanted to learn Arabic, why did you choose a degree rather than doing some other kind of course or self-studying or whatever? Why, why a degree specifically? Honestly, at the time, it was because a degree seemed to be the thing to have. Okay. Uh, if you were going to ask me now, would I go back and study Arabic if I knew all I knew but hadn't studied it as a degree? Uh, I would say yes, but I'd say yes for very different reasons. I would say yes to going and studying Arabic on the basis that uh, I have a deep desire, if I had all the time and money in the world, frankly, I'd spend a lifetime doing this, but uh, a deep desire to understand how that mind, the quantum mechanics of that emotion works, right? Um, and so like, as if, like some people going to, to study a master's after working, right? You know, they've, they've seen the world enough, they understand how it works on a real level, and they understand that, you know, you've got to do what you love and you, and you want. And, and what a master's can do, or indeed an undergraduate degree at this stage can do, is give you a lifestyle in an environment that you want, right? Um, take away the idea of, okay, I've now got a degree from SOAS or whatever. Actually, just the idea of spending your daily basis surrounding yourself, ensconcing yourself in learning, you know, there is nothing quite like it. It's, it's extraordinary. It is a privilege. If we're being perfectly honest, it's a privilege that everyone should be able to have. But for those who can go for it, they should go for it. Um, I think that if, however, you're looking to do a degree, especially slightly later, uh, you know, for whatever reason, um, expecting that this is going to change your life in an economic manner or going to change your life in, you know, any other manner that you think, without having a clear direction of going to use this to go to the foreign office, I'm going to use this to join a bank, I'm going to use this because I want to be an academic. If you're going to think that way, then I think best of luck, because the best played, best laid plans of mice and men, you know, kind of get shattered as you're, as you're going into this. But if you're prepared to be quite elastic about the way you want to use it, and your expectations are set to loving it for the moments that you love it, I think it's a phenomenally important thing to do, not just a nice thing to do, but a very important thing to do, because you know, you do want that tangible memory. It's not just a course that you could say, okay, I'm going to do it. And I don't like it anymore. So I'm going to go back and work. It's like you're committed, you know, and, and it's tough to be committed to things these days. That's why I do the degree again. Yeah. I, I, like I certainly have my own thoughts on that. Like when I, when I think about why I did it, to be honest, I was 18 and I wanted a degree and I thought I also want to learn Arabic so let's do both of them at the same time I mean, yeah. now if, if I was to look back at it from a purely Arabic language knowledge perspective there are other things that are especially because now it's much more expensive now like my, my advice to students now has changed a little bit because it's not like 3,000 a year anymore it's it's a lot more than like yeah. Yeah. which is a big factor for most people so like so now I'd say look you, you can achieve a really high level of Arabic if you have the freedom and, and the money to go abroad and study somewhere. Yeah. Like I remember, I remember at SOAS um, in the prayer room there, I remember meeting some brothers who've been to Egypt for two years. Yeah. Like I've just, been at, I've just been at SOAS for two years. Yeah. And these guys, especially in terms of their spoken Arabic, they're a lot better than me. Oh, 100%, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, sitting there thinking like, like who's, who's the winner here? <laughs> you've, you've, had, you've experienced Egypt for a few years and I've been in London paying out the <laughs> for everything. But, but there's other things that they didn't have a degree, but I was yeah. 
university and I had the experience of being in an environment of academia for that time to focus purely on bettering myself intellectually on a number of levels that they didn't. So it's, um, right. I would say like they all work, but it has to be for your own right reasons. That's the thing. I think do your, do your planning and speak to as many people as possible to get as honest a uh, response as you need, because only then you're going to be able to decide what's the best route for you. There are plenty of people I know who dropped out in their first year and uh, are fluent now because they just went and worked in the Middle East. Great. If that was the aim, brilliant. But if your aim, if, if my aim, for example, I think through my degree, I ended up uh, not just being able to speak Arabic, but work in Arabic as a lawyer. Uh, and uh, set, I helped set up um, a, a rather large alternative Arab music brand in Dubai called Wasla. Right. And all of that comes from like a, a deep understanding, not just of the language, but a love of basically the the environment of the language and also the fact that doing it at SOAS gave me exposure to things outside of my little Surrey world, you know, like it, it gave me the confidence to be able to apply things outside of the box. And so those are all factors that are important when it comes to an undergraduate degree as well. All of the, that's a whole half an hour chat in its own right. And I think that anyone looking to, to, to make that decision do your research. It's not just a case of I want to study Arabic, therefore I'll study it at SAS. It's like there are there's an entire research paper that you need to do before being confident with your decision there. Or you can let it go and 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 go with the flow, as they say. Entirely your choice as well. Great. Well, and lastly, I just want to thank you so much for your time. Um, you, you know, you have to come and give some of your time to us to have a conversation with me about this, but it's going to be very nice to have another face on the YouTube channel and stuff because the audience usually have to put up a mind mug. Yeah. <laughs> so so well, thank you very much. Um, there's no kind of special ending. We don't fade to black. There's no round of applause or anything. So I'll just bid you farewell and say assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. A pleasure and best of luck to everyone who's watching this.